it's the year 2020, and the church is still acting like it's 1982. That's the year we were born. And ten years into this gig, we are doing our best to help the church into the future. We are iPhone pastors for a typewriter church, and this is the Millennial Pastors Podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. My name is Eric Parker. And I'm Courtney Reedman Parker. And on today's episode, the pandemic reformation and the post-pandemic church. Some hopes and dreams for the church in the 21st century and in the post-pandemic world. To be honest, a lot of these were on our minds before the pandemic, but have been more acutely noticed since the pandemic started. Right, so for today's episode, we thought we would maybe just have a conversation about some hopes and dreams and wishes and and plans maybe that we have for what we hope that the church can learn during this pandemic and that the church can become and be coming out of this pandemic in a post-pandemic world, if that ever is going to exist for us. Yes, it will exist for us. I think we are in this time of waiting for the next thing to be revealed, right? This idea that God is leading us into this new thing. We don't know what it is. We know that it's Here, but not yet. A little scary, but also exciting. And we're trying to sort of suss out what God might be up to. Where it is that we're headed and where we're going. And what we need. Yeah. What it will look like. How we're being invited to join in. So we're going to get out our crystal balls. I guess Halloween is just around the corner and we've been saving them for the first five episodes and now in episode six we're pulling them out too shaking my magic eight ball right now as we speak to tell you exactly what uh the future will look like so our thought about this is this that this is probably going to be a series that it might take a few episodes to discuss all of these we started making a list and we realized as we fleshed out each point on the list that There was far too much to talk about. And we'd rather go in depth on some of these points than just uh, fly by them. And so we'll take a couple episodes to do this. And there might be some audience participation at the end. But we'll talk about that at the end of the episode today. So (laughs) where where should we start? Um, well, I guess I'll start with my first, uh, hope, dream, and wish. (laughs) The first is, my first hope or dream wish for the church is that the church embraces the ways it can be present online, the way it can transcend borders and connect people from afar. And near. And near. Yeah. You could be literally across the street from the church, but connecting online. Yeah. Or across an ocean. 
other side of the planet in Antarctica, and you can connect with a congregation and continents away. But I think, so that one seems kind of obvious that the church would learn and embrace the ways it can be present online, it can use technology. But I do think there are aspects of this that go a little deeper than that. Is it obvious, though? Because we've had the technology for quite a while. True. Touche. <laughs> maybe not so obvious. So let's start with maybe maybe to understand um, what it means to embrace being present online and transcending borders is to look back at maybe a recent focus of the church, which is surrounding mission and being missional. It's been a buzzword for probably a decade now. And the idea has been that the church um, needs to look outside of its own walls, its four walls or however many walls your church has, but not much farther than, say, across the street, a few blocks, to look at your own neighborhood. And I think that has been a reaction to the fact of a lot of congregations are at the age that sort of got left behind during the suburbanization of most urban communities, urban centers that, you know, and, and my congregation that I serve now is kind of an example of this, although it actually moved, but it started out as essentially a ethnic congregation in the middle of a, uh, a city. And then through a process of mergers discovered that all of a sudden uh, it had been, you know, next door to, a Lutheran church, but it was the Danish church, and the church next door was the German or the Swedish or the Norwegian church. And then as time passed and mergers happened, it was all of a sudden next door to another Lutheran church, and somebody some, somebody in charge said, well, you guys should probably close down and move over there. And the congregation decided, no, we're going to move out to the suburbs. <laughs> and so they did to this new new suburb in Winnipeg called Sherwood Park is how it got its name. Um, but I think a lot of churches didn't do that. They stayed in the inner cities, inside of cities, but their members moved out to the suburb. And all of a sudden, there are these churches in the interior of cities whose entire membership you know, commuted 20, 20, 30 minutes to get there, and they weren't reaching anybody in their actual neighborhoods, their actual surrounding communities. And the missional network, a lot of, or I shouldn't, I shouldn't say missional network, but <laughs> the missional movement and sort of this emphasis on neighborhood ministry arose, I would say, probably in the last, even 15 years. I remember, remember I have, you know, neighborhood ministry being presented on at least 15 years ago. And it was this idea that churches should remember that we have neighborhoods that we live in and that we're not just a bunch of commuters and that we should look to ways to reach our neighbors. We should make connections with those who live, you know, within stone's throw from the church. And this is all a good thing, not a bad thing. But I do think one of the things that this missional movement has maybe missed is that this is not how most urban communities and most urban neighborhoods are organized. It's not just churches that have people commuting out of the neighborhood for, or, um, or coming, commuting into the neighborhood for church, but most people who live in a neighborhood are commuting out for work, 
for school, for shopping, for activities, sports, dance, going to the doctor, whatever it is. And so there's this, I guess there's this whole um, transience that exists with uh, most neighborhood communities. And one of the way, one of the reasons that that I feel like I'm aware of this is that um, serving in rural communities for the first ten years of my ministry and recognizing that urban neighborhoods are not just, you know, smaller versions of rural communities. Like in a rural community where you go to church on Sunday and then you meet your neighbors in the coffee shop on Monday and then you see them at the local grocery store on Tuesday and then you're... So you mean a bigger version, <laughs> like a bigger version right. of what you would have rurally, but it's a completely different system. Right. Way Ur- of being. Urban neighborhoods are not just like those rural communities, right? That people aren't necessarily seeing each other like every day of the week at different community activities and different community spaces. That most people are commuting out of the neighborhood for school, for work, for just about everything. You know, there might be some, maybe you do meet your neighbor at the grocery store at the park. But it's not like in an urban community where you know that you're going to meet a neighbor every time you go out into your community. Yes, that there is a difference because, and it's not just a neighbor, you're going to meet most of your neighbors or all of your neighbors, which is why if there's conflict, right, in a, in a congregation, in a rural setting, right? It's that much more complicated because you know it's not might I run into this person someplace. You know that you will run into that person because you shop at the same store or you frequent their business and and in an urban setting that becomes much less likely because there is just a wider net that people interact within right yeah and it's actually you know we studied this in seminary with uh talking about rural communities it's one of the it's one of the the pros and one of the cons of rural and urban communities that rural people tend to have strong ties right because you have multiple places where you connect with a person with the people in your communities and so you can't you know cause a conflict at church because it's going to affect the parent teachers association and the neighborhood watch and the community association and all these other places where you have connections and have to work with these people. But it also limits you. These are the people you have in a rural community. You don't go beyond that group very much. Urban communities, you have weak ties, right? So if you cause a conflict at your church, it's probably not going to bleed over into your workplace or to where you go to school or to the community association or to your sports team. And so urban people have weaker ties, but they also tend to have wider networks, right? And so your church family might not know that you've changed your job three times in the last five years if you don't intentionally share it with them. And so, you know, I think recognizing that our communities aren't necessarily bound by neighborhoods, that the neighborhoods around us aren't a bunch of people waiting for the neighborhood church 
to come connect to them, that they are also sort of transiently moving in and out of their communities. And then I think this transience extends online too, that, you know, all of a sudden the ways that we can move in and out of our neighborhoods expands to how far I can drive to how far I can, you know, Facebook or tweet or Instagram. Right. And, and those, those borders get extended, you know, across provinces, across countries around the world. And so it's not that I'm advocating against connections to the neighborhood around a church, but it is, I think, to recognize that that's, that can't be the primary mission focus of a congregation is just that neighborhood around it. Or that there are limits. Yeah. There are limits to, to, to that approach. Just like there are limits to being online. There are limits to anything, right? Um, but this idea that even now you might have people, we might have people listening who think, well, I'm in an urban area and we are very much a neighborhood church, right? And I think of the congregation that I am serving presently and for a lot of the members that would very much be the case of how they would identify with the church in large part because there continues to be a large portion of the congregation who does live within what would be considered the neighborhood. But there are also people who um, commute an hour <laughs> to, to come to church, and not because it was their home congregation, right, but because they, they found the church or connected with somebody who was a member or a former pastor and connected into the community and continued to continue to come. So it's understanding that the way in which people can engage with the ministry of a congregation is expanded through an online presence. It doesn't minimize the ministry or the work or the connections you can have within your neighborhood. It just means from my perspective, that it expands out, that it gives you more opportunities to connect with people and it allows people more opportunities to connect in with you. Yeah, I think sometimes it might feel like online ministry, especially in the past seven months, has minimized our in-person local neighborhood, like gathered community worship. But it's not online ministry that's limited that. It's a global pandemic that has limited that. And I think it's it's important for us to make that distinction that no, we we aren't we aren't meeting with our community, our neighborhood with each other because of a pandemic, not because we're moving church online. But it can feel that way. I think I've I've experienced that sort of thinking, um, especially among some church members, feeling like it's online ministry that is taking away our sort of local in-person church rather than the global pandemic that has taken that as minimized that aspect of our ministry. That will come back when the pandemic goes away. That's not going to somehow be gone because we have online worship. And so I think, you know, I felt a lot of pressure 
in the last few years to to do neighborhood ministry. And I and I'm not saying I shouldn't. I probably still need to focus more on that and to find ways to engage our neighborhood. I mean, our congregation already has some cool things they do, like like this cool yard sale that really gets in a lot of people that live around the church every year and gets them into the building and and people have connected to the church through that yard sale through the youth who put it on. But at the same time, neighborhood ministry is not some sort of magic bullet to congregational decline. If you just figure out what the way is to attract your ch- the neighbors of the church building to the building that you will have figured out how to solve your problems as a church. It's worked for some congregations, but others have tried loads of neighborhood initiatives and nothing has taken. So like everything else in ministry, it's not a magic bullet that will solve the problems. It's one tool in the toolbox. It can't be the sole focus of a church, but it also shouldn't be ignored or underestimated. So we've been talking about sort of leaning into or embracing the ways it can be present online, but have actually been talking about how we haven't been doing that, right? Because of this missional way of being present in our neighborhoods and that being neighborly, being being mindful of the geographical context that you find yourself in is not not important, but it's not the only way in which people are engaging our neighborhoods or our world or the way in which we interact with the multiple communities or our neighborhoods that we gather within or throughout. And so as we sort of evaluate what our ministry looks like on the ground, we also are beginning to understand we're learning the value of online connection. And so a hope is that we would lean into the value of online connection because I think the the value is knowing the value of knowing your neighbors is ultimately about connection and relationship building. That's what the missional strategy is all about at its core, right? Is, is relationship, is connection. And you can't build relationships. You can't make connections if you don't know who your neighbors are and what's important to them. Right, and so the mission, the missional focus was initially to sort of transcend the borders of our church buildings, and what this pandemic reformation is teaching us is that we can transcend so much farther and to recognize that there are a whole host of reasons beyond where we live that might connect people to us, right? That people will connect online, that people will commute. That people will, you know, they'll drive across the city to see us. They will, they will, you know, sp- scan across Facebook to find us, or they'll cross the street to find us. Right? That that there are 
a multitude of ways in which the church can transcend these distances, these borders, these things that we thought sort of boxed us in and kept us kept us uh, confined before. Sure. So I'm one of those people that as we're talking and discussing random songs pop into my head, maybe you're listening and you can identify with this. And so I've been thinking about the song from Sesame Street about who are the people in your neighborhood. And so one of our kids loves to sing the song with me and then we'll talk about who the different people are in our neighborhood. And, and actually, you know, Eric's just been talking about how in urban centers, we don't find, you know, all these things in our neighborhood, but actually our chiropractor is a block away and our massage therapist is two blocks away and the kids' schools are within, a, within you know, a couple of kilometers of our house. So actually, a lot of the things that we access apart from our workplaces are relatively close by and large. But some of the people that our child will include in the list of our neighbors includes people like like her grandparents who actually live on the other side of the country, right? And and she thinks it's hilarious when we sing the song and she'll in, include these people because I always go, well, those aren't people in our neighborhood. But for, for her, it's not about physical proximity, but about the relational connections that have been formed. Right. That that right. It's about connections, about relationships. And and they and these things can transcend all sorts of distances and borders. Sure. And and that's the power, the value of the online, right? That the church going online has given us this whole new space, this whole new tool to reach out to go beyond ourselves. And I think it makes sense, right? That I think as we struggled to find ways to reach out beyond our walls across the street that all of a sudden when we were sort of our backs were against the wall back in March of 2020, that we were pushed to, to reach out beyond our walls, but it was in this completely different way. It was online. It was on Facebook and YouTube and, and has been this tremendous uh, opening up of churches and opening up our mind and and going online and expanding online, I think will help us also expand outside our buildings, right? It's not just one or the other. Right. Because when when our backs were up against the wall, as you say, in March, most congregations were not thinking we will go online as a way of expanding the the our our outreach in our community, right? It was about if we can't come into the building to worship, what are we going to do? And we all said, we can live stream the service and have it online, right? As this temporary measure. And now we're starting to see, for those of us who were not seeing or getting it or didn't have the the motivation or the time or the capacity or whatever the reason was before, that that now we're seeing the value, we're seeing the potential for how an online presence 
helps people to not only know who the church is, but who God is and what God might be up to in our in our neighborhood, in our area of the world, but also that that can translate outside of one geographic area into into another. Well, and I think that, you know, the value of the online connection, it's easy to see it as a, you know, either or. It's either in person or in real life or online, right? You can't, it becomes a dichotomy. It comes like competing forces. And I, and I, I noticed that there's a fair bit of people seeing these either or circumstances between in real life, in real life and online. And I think it's um, Carrie Newhoff, who is a blogger and podcaster and pastor as well. Uh, check him out, I guess. Uh, but he, he's been writing some really interesting pieces around the pandemic. And one of the points that he makes that I really like is that he talks about how you know, he, we have, for the most part, developed a much more seamless transition between between online and in real life, right? We're not people who are only sort of physically present and then and then we just like turn that switch off and go fully, you know, online. We're fully social media. Some people might be those things. But the vast majority of us are constantly slipping in and out of one or the other throughout our days. You know, in one moment you might be having a conversation over your backyard fence with your neighbor. And the next moment you've pulled out your phone and you're writing a Facebook comment to a stranger from another country, right? And you are, you're engaging online and you're slipping in and out of these things all day long. And one moment you're, you know, making dinner. The next moment you're looking up a recipe. One moment you're, you're texting your significant other. The next moment you're, you know, talking to your kid in the next room, right? There's, there's all these um, sort of back and forth that we're constantly doing. And one of the things that I think the church needs to learn about that is this is how we need to sort of view our online ministry. It's not, it's not like we're moving to cyber church. We're not becoming church online. I think maybe one of the interesting lessons about this uh, pandemic period is when, before, before all of this, there was this movement, like, can we do church entirely online? Can we be completely cyber communities? And now that we've kind of had to do that for some, some churches, become or predominantly or mostly like online virtual communities, I haven't noticed that question of like, can, the, can there be a cyber church around much anymore? Right? That, we, that there is this, this recognition that there is some value to to being together in person. And so, so being online means as a church, finding ways in ministry to slip in and out of on in real life and online experiences, right? You might worship in post pandemic. You might, you might go to worship on Sunday morning in person, and you might go to midweek Vespers online, right? You might, um, you might go to the, 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 you know, gendered men's or women's coffee or lunch on Saturday. And you might go to the virtual Bible study on Tuesday night or, you know, that there's these different sort of slipping in and out of different experiences. And they won't really be seen as you're doing 
online church or in life church, they're just all part of what it means to be church, that all these experiences make up what it means to do ministry as a church. Sure, because we recognize that it's not only about where and how we can be in community together, um, but also how we access ministry. And I think maybe what should have been sort of like this, the, the starting off point is, is that for so many people, the first place that you go to access information, just basic information, is online. And so when a church has no online presence, that says something to people, right? And if we think of of the church's front door as being online, even more so than the front door of the physical building, right? How how easily accessible is it for people to get into the church? Because we're still built on this assumption that that when people are looking for a church that they will just want wander in off the street. I don't know, is that something that people did or I guess they looked it up in the yellow pages? I don't I don't <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pardon my ignorance, but I don't know how that happened before, but certainly like no church is saying well we're not going to have a phone. Right? I mean, that would seem if if I went into the church office and noticed that the phone wasn't working and people couldn't phone the church office, the leadership, the council, the church secretary, like that problem would be remedied immediately. <laughs> right? The idea that we wouldn't have a working phone line for people to contact the church seems to most people completely unreasonable, even though there are days that will go by and the phone doesn't ring when I'm in the church office or I come in and there's no missed calls and there are no messages. And so I've often been curious as to why churches who are full of people, most of whom do use the internet, <laughs> right? These are people who are online in some capacity, are so reticent to, to go there, right? To provide that place and space. Well, you think about somebody now who might be looking for a church to worship at, and might I add, post-pandemic, might be an opportunity when people actually might be looking for places to worship that uh, they can go, to, you know, to our Facebook page. And before the pandemic, they would find, I don't know, they would find, we did, we did some great family ministry stuff, but other than some, you know, occasional posts from family ministry, there was really not a lot on our Facebook page. Our website was, you know, it was it was half decently constructed, but it was still pretty static and wasn't providing a lot of updated material. Now they can find they can find 
dozens of worship videos and hundreds of posts, and they can get a really good sense of what it would be like to be in church on Sunday morning, even though it's, you know, online recorded worship, they would have a pretty good idea of what worship would be like were they to come to church, and pretty good idea of what kind of congregation we are like, because they would see the people commenting and interacting on the Facebook page. And so that is our front door. And that's going to be our like forever front door now. That's going to be the place where people are looking, if they are out there looking for a Lutheran church or a neighborhood church, they can go and find a lot about us now that they really had no idea. Like we were just for the most part, we were basically just a picture of our building online, which is the same as what you got when you drove by our building in real life. We were no different online or in real life. And now, and now we again, no different online or in real life. But you can get in sort of the, the safe space of online, a very in real life experience or understanding of what it would be like to show up at our, our church service on Sunday morning. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. The Manitoba Northwestern Ontario or MNO Synod is one of five synods of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada or ELCIC. The synod covers 54 congregations in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario, from Brandon, Manitoba in the west to Thunder Bay, Ontario in the east, and from Morris on the U.S. border up to Thompson, Manitoba, just on the edge of Canada's north. The MNO Synod has a baptized membership of 17,000. Headquartered in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the Synod serves 54 congregations through the ministry of the Bishop's Office and working in the areas of youth, young adult ministry, missions, outdoor ministry, social justice, ecumenical relations, stewardship, and guiding ordained ministers and congregations through call processes. The MNO Synod can be found online at mnosynod.org and on Facebook and on Instagram. Check them out if you want to find a congregation in the MNO or if you want to know about their work. I hear if you simply pick up the phone and call the office, you might just be able to speak to Bishop Jason or Deacon Michelle in person. Which I think leads so well into another hope or dream that we have been hoping and dreaming about. And, and that is that we recognize as a church how important it is to be together. Are you just contradicting the first two wishes that we had? Pretty much. <laughs> no, I totally agree that, um, that we do recognize the value of being together. And if anything, right, on the one hand, this pandemic has taught us is that here's an opportunity to practice getting outside of ourselves, outside of our four walls, outside of our preconceived boxes around what church is, and out into the world in a variety of ways. But here is also this incredibly powerful reminder of what it means to be together 
in person and how that affects us as human beings and how important it is for the building up of community. I think this is part of the reason why for for some people in our congregations and also for leaders in the church why being apart has been so hard because the way in which at least in part that we experience our faith is in community is with those people that we gather with week after week and whose stories we know and people who know our stories and understand how our stories connect into God's story and how that all becomes one big broad story of faith and life and understanding. Yeah, I mean that that there is this essential experience, this is part of being together in community, which I sort of alluded to in the last point about, you know, there aren't many people asking about what it means to be a wholly, completely online community anymore, because we are all longing for that in-person community experience again. And, and online services and online ministry provide sort of like, it's like, you know, we're getting our bread and water to make sure that we have enough to eat, but it's not the richness of sort of the full feast of what it means to be community. And, and that, and you know, there's only so long that you can go just sort of eating the basics or taking the basics. And I think that the COVID restrictions version of gathering together is not the same as this experience of community, in-person community that so many of us are longing for. It's not the same when you have to wear a mask and you can't visit and you still have to sit with your own little family and you can't talk. I mean, in fact, (laughs) pandemic restriction church is fundamentally undifferent from online church, except you, nobody can sing when it's, (laughs) when you're all together with pandemic restrictions you know, you're just still separated and you're still apart and you're still have all these things that are between you. Um, and so, and so there is this missing yearning, this longing for being together in community. And, and, you know, as a tangent, I think that that is probably something that, you know, here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, as our case numbers for the pandemic are hitting record highs, three, three record highs in the last five days. And, and, uh, you know, more people have died of the pandemic in October than all the other months before now combined. And there's a lot of blaming of social gatherings and people being together. I think that probably there's maybe not enough recognition that, that we are fundamentally created as human beings to be in community and this is missing that people are longing and yearning for this experience of community. And there's only so long that people can go without it, at least, at least uh, without consciously being aware of that need and finding ways of, to safely have it met or to sort of manage it and deal with it. Well, sure. And what is the church for us, right? I mean, I think if we, if we think about 
when our when our church is our sanctuary, our safe place, um, and that's where people go. That's where we come to, right? Is the safe place with people who we know love and care for us and support us and remind us of who we are and whose we are and who God is for us, right? In the midst of all of the times in our in our lives, but especially when we need that safe place to go, that when shit hits the fan, it's really hard to know how and where to find safety or security or sanctuary. It's it's really it's really disarming, right? I mean, it's just this such a sense of of vulnerability in a way. Yeah, like yeah. There is there is a certain vulnerability to being in person that I think we might recognize a little bit more. Um, you know, I <laughs> one of the things that I've been thinking about in relation to this question is is the notion of the Sunday best, right? And I remember as a kid, um being told to dress up for church. And I don't know, I don't we thought we talked about it a lot, but it was there was enough of a concept of like presenting yourself well at church that was it's part of my part of my uh you know somewhere in the back of my brain and sure influ- influences the way I think and dress for Sundays <laughs> still I mean not now but yeah and <laughs> and and now you know 7 months into not gathering in person in any sort of significant long-term way I mean, the the falseness or the faux, you know, Sunday best, the, the way that that was portrayed as something false just seems so laughable, right? Because compare that to, you know, presenting your Zoom call best, right? Which is like, <laughs> I found the one square of my house that isn't a complete mess. I'm putting on a nice shirt, but I'm not wearing any pants. I'm ready for my Zoom call, right? <laughs> like... Could there be nothing sort of more fake about like the bare minimum that we do to look presentable on Zoom and and compare that to like, okay, so you put on some nice clothes to go to church, but you are still there in person. And like all of the things about you are there in the room with a whole bunch of other people. And you, you know, if you smell funny, if you look funny, if you make funny noises in your body, like all these kinds of things. And if you do strange things or you say weird things or you're awkward or you can't tell a joke or you're shy, like all those things that are sort of part of um, being a human being are just like put out there on display. I mean, it, it just was, we just took it for granted before, but now I think about it, like it's going to be a huge big deal to sort of be with people and be normal with people again. In a large group, I'm going to go hang out with a group of 50 or 60 or 100 people once a week on Sunday mornings, and we're just all going to be ourselves and not be like highly anxious about being around each other. That just feels like a crazy idea now. And so I think there's something that's super vulnerable and super um, revealing and honest about being together in person, about physically being in the same space together. Sure. And I think the more time that you spend with people in community, 
the more you know about a person, right? And and that we can see in a person even by how they how they look, right? Or how a person acts, what might be happening in their in their lives, right? That you start to know people's facial expressions, right? That there are all of these things that we can do um, in real life, in real time, that are so much harder to do over Zoom, right? Especially if you just decide, you know what, like, I don't really want anybody to see me today, so I'm not turning on my camera, <laughs> right? Just not doing it, not going there, not ready for that today. I mean, here's like a little, here's a little uh, peek behind the, peek underneath the robe, you might say, uh, of recorded worship. I haven't worn, I haven't worn like a proper clerical collar under my alb for months and months and months now, because you can't actually see it. And most of the summer I wore shorts, but I just edited the bottom of my feet out of the shot. So you couldn't see that I was wearing shorts under my alb. True you know, confessions. <laughs> True confessions I hope none today. Of my, none of my parishioners hear this podcast. I'm sure none of them listen. I'm kidding. I know they listen. Anyways, <laughs> but you know, like every, everything about online can really be presented in a, you have the power to present yourself uh, in a very prescribed way that, that in person, you just are there. You just, <laughs> all of you is there. And and there's not much you can sort of hide, no matter what clothes you no. wear. You can't just edit it out, yeah. right? If you don't like it. It doesn't work that way. You can't, can't no. just have a moment and take a deep breath and start over and then delete the first part of it. You just hope that enough people were shuffling through their hymnals or not paying attention to you that they didn't notice that you said the wrong word or that you missed an entire section of your of your sermon or whatever it happens to be. I think, you know, we are more accepting of one another in person than we are online, right? Because because we know that too, right? We know that there is um something to to not being live but to have been edited, right? That you're that you're viewing something that isn't that isn't purely authentic, right? I mean, there there are there are things that imperfections. It's like you know, Photoshop or a filter that sort of just like sm smooths out any in any in inconsistencies. Right. And, and what I think is going to be so cool, and one of my hopes for recognizing how great it is to be together in person is this thing that was just so unassuming before. I hope that when we all get back together for, you know, a true post-pandemic gathering of the church, that we will recognize how sort of powerful and transformative that's going to be to be physically together again, 
to reveal our full honest selves together again, to have to renegotiate all those things about what it meant to share the same space, to you know, sit in the pews with one another, to share coffee together, to sidle up at the altar rail together, to listen to one another's voice, to sing together, to pray together, that all of those things are, are sort of up for grabs and up for renegotiation now. And it's going to transform us in ways that, that we hadn't really ever imagined or expected. The simple act of, of coming out of this pandemic and gathering together again. I remember thinking back, you know, back when we thought this was going to be three weeks and we were dreaming of the, the joy of proclaiming the resurrection together at Easter. And it just feels incredibly naive compared to where we are now. And knowing what is still to come before we get to that post-pandemic experience and how, you know, I had no idea how profound that, that possibility of coming back together in person, what that was going to mean and how that was going to transform us and change us. I hope we just don't get together again and it's all just, you know, oh, like we never stop. I don't think it will be, but... I hope we take the time to recognize like how transformative it is to be, you know, the body of Christ in a place together. You know, where I see that is with our, our son who is six, who's gone back to school this year with, you know, a lot of, um, a lot more rules and restrictions. And yet every day is a great day. Every day he is excited to go. Every day he's excited to tell us about what's happened and, um, you know, what, what parcel of the, of the field or the wood chip pile, as he calls one of the, one of the spaces on the, on the, uh, play area that that he's allowed to play on so that they can be safely cohorted you know and there's no complaining there's no um wishing that it could be the way it was you know last year it's <laughs> it's just this pure joy to be with his peers to have a sense of community and i think normalcy and and I wonder how will that translate for us in the church that for all of the things that we um worry about for all the things that cause us stress and strain in our relationships um that there will be this tremendous re- release and relief of our our collective isolation um, and feeling distant from from one another and and from God too, I think in in so many ways, if the way in which that we connect to and with our faith is in community and we haven't been able to be in community, I'm sure there are ways that we're learning about about who God is in this in this time, but that doesn't mean we can't miss the primary way we're used to we're used to engaging that well i just think we won't know what what the depth of sort of what's been missing psychologically 
what's been missing spiritually by not being together. You know, we just had a presentation by a a nationally renowned social worker, your 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 brother, uh, talking to us about the effects of stress on the body and and the co-regulation effects. And if, what was I found so interesting? He's talking about you know relationship and how it co-regulates and how doing things sort of in 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 cohort with other people decreases our stress. Going to church. Everybody sitting down and facing the same direction, standing up together, sitting down together, singing together, praying together, everybody going up to the front to receive the Eucharist together, you know, shaking hands, all these things that we sort of mirror with the people around us, they actually decrease our stress and make us psychologically healthy. It's like liturgy, the liturgy was invented to make us healthier and happier and and more regulated as human beings and and also thinking about this you know this uh the study conference we went to just before the pandemic on the value of roadside shrines and and thinking about how people come together in crisis but also come together after crisis right as on the anniversary and like as a time to so there's the immediate but also there's the remembering of the crisis that i think the post-pandemic church will have this opportunity to, to be that gathering place for people to remember this collective trauma that we've been through, that we are in the middle of right now, that we will be able to gather together and sort of remember it and make sense of it and make meaning of it and be healed of the trauma as we gather together. Um, and, and remember what we, what we've all just been through. Yeah. If only people of faith had all already made days or rites or times to remember periods in the past that had been filled with fear and trepidation and i mean like these stories about the people of god going through all kinds of crazy stuff and the fact that we have you know ways to worship and oh yeah okay you made your point yeah um the other thing that i think that i hope we really recognize about the value of being together is um how hard it is to show up at church because I think it's going to be so wonderful to get back together in person, but how hard is it to go, to take those first steps after being so restrictive and seeing other human beings as vectors of disease transmission and being so hyper aware of taking those first trustful steps? Is it now safe? Right? It's getting to the point where it's going to be ingrained in our bodies. Our heads will get it. Like, oh no, I don't have to wear a mask. Oh, I can actually shake somebody's hand. And I'm not. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to make my grandma sick. Whatever it is. But it's going to be hard to learn those things in our bodies. And to recognize that this, the experience of coming back together, coming back to the building, joining with a community that is now somewhat unfamiliar to us, that maybe when we have been dreaming about getting all those people back that once came to church, 
we're imagining new people coming into our buildings, we will have a much more visceral, recent, honest experience of what it's like to come to a community um, sort of fresh or to come back after being away that it's not easy and it takes a lot of trust and it will take a lot of work to make those steps into the community, into the space, to feel comfortable, to feel like you belong, to feel like you have a place. And I hope we don't forget that and that it will inform how we think about inviting people into our communities and inviting people back into our communities. Well, and that it will give us some insight into both for people for whom going to church is not a long standing part of their life or tradition or a custom or habit um, or way of being, how, how difficult making those first steps is. And then also this trust piece, right? I, I liked what you said when we were talking about this episode ahead of time, this idea of having insight into the experience of those who've, who've experienced other breaches of trust in their lives and what it then takes to trust a community or a person. Right. I mean, we, our, our trust of gatherings is going to be eroded, is being eroded. Like right now, today, I don't feel like I trust any group of people bigger than five that they have made good choices and have my best interests in mind. And so it's going to take work to trust communities again. And I have a pretty privileged life. Like I have not had other issues compounded. And yet there's a whole host of people out there that have, you know, suffered abuse, suffered trauma, suffered marginalization, you know, have been the victims of oppression, racism, sexism. And 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 they have all of that combined into now. Well, and not past tense, mm-hmm. right? But that for people for whom this is an ongoing daily part of existing in the world, right? Is any one or all of those things, right? Having to test the waters to see if this place is safe, right? Right. That most, like most white dudes like me have never had to worry about. I don't need to test the waters when I go somewhere to see if it's a safe place. I maybe got the tiniest little smidgen of like an awareness of what that's like for so many people now. And so hoping as as church as communities as places that strive to be sanctuary for others that this time this period this um and then the the re-entry into whatever the new way of being and living and being community will be will be one that is perhaps more in in intentional or that we will have a different insight into how our decisions for our life together are shaped and informed by our recent experiences 
but also how that is also the reality for so many people that is not going to change after the pandemic is over. So let's do another hope or dream wish for the post-pandemic church through the pandemic reformation. And the next one is that we can recognize and leave behind our baggage. This is like a big, long, you know, therapy session for the church. We're all... We've all gone to our own little, uh, you know, therapist office. Like, okay, we got to leave all this baggage behind. Enough of this. We gotta, we gotta figure this. I gotta move on with my life. We gotta get it together. Just like letting go of all of the jokes about not being able to change. That be like part of our baggage. <laughs> no, I don't think we can leave those behind. Those, those will be here to say. Um, it just be new things that we can't change. This computer. I was given to the church by my dad. Okay. But um, no, I like to leave, leave behind some of that baggage. So what, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean by baggage? Like all that stuff and every congregation has it. Things that you've been holding on to for years that, but haven't done anything with that, pre- that to prevent you from doing ministry, that prevents you from being community, that, prevent you from welcoming new people into your communities. Maybe it's time to leave some of that stuff behind or some of the thing that just is weighs on, weighs on you, like the burdens and, and weights of ministry, the obligations that people feel like they have to do. Like we do this here and we just toil and struggle like Sisyphus rolling, rolling a boulder up and down a mountain, you know, for no reason we keep on doing this thing that, that nobody really likes and nobody's important. Let's leave that baggage behind. Right? Well, isn't there the, you know, the little quip that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? And I think in the church, we are really guilty of doing that, right? Like we still have this very outdated, has never been true or helpful in the 10 years that I have been a pastor that if you build it they will come right we have more than enough buildings that are empty right (laughs) before the pandemic um we have more than enough programs that people are not accessing right that people are are not uh, engaged in we have more than enough we have more than enough things that we're hanging on to um that are that are that are no longer life-giving in the way that they once were yeah i mean already even even during this pandemic i'm i mean i serve on some some committees in in our synod that are dealing with this issue with with lots of places that that this attitude that if we just if we just had this thing if we just built this thing if we just put together this thing, it's going to solve our problem, right? If we build it, 
our problems will be solved. If we build it, they will come. And, and it's just, you know, it's really hard for places to let go of that thinking. It's even hard to, to, to not even have that thinking at times, you know, ourselves. And if we could just let fields of dreams die, just let it go. Um, that, that it doesn't, it's not about just building something and then people flocking to you building and your problems go away. But, but there is, you know, a process, an engagement, relationship, and and a discernment about what actually works, right? What actually is working, and maybe finding the people before you build the thing. Maybe figuring out how to address the problem before you put the new thing in place, right? To to start at the other end of the problem. Okay, how do we reach people, and then we can build something. You know, I think that's going to be, we're going to have to flip the field of dreams methodology on, on its head in the post-pandemic church and really work at, at sort of preparing the, preparing the, the ground, preparing the stage, you know, scattering the seeds or something, but, but making something ready for something to be built for, for whether, whether it's an actual building, whether it's a structure, whether it's a program, whether it's a ministry that we actually go somewhere where we know that there's maybe demand for it, or there's a community ready for it, or there's people ready to engage. Sure. And I think a lot of recognizing and leaving behind our, our baggage really has to do with the work around grief. Right. I mean, we'll keep coming back to this again and again, and it came up in our very first episode because it is so prevalent and I think also sort of pervasive, right? That like a a lot of people um, who don't know how to deal with grief, which is like a lot of things in the church, ironic, (laughs) that that we're not very good at, at really working through our grief and this and this loss that we are experiencing. And so maybe a, a, a sub-hope or dream is, is, to, is to be able to, to be able to work through that loss at this time of great loss for so many of us will allow us to to work through it so that then we can shake the dust off of our feet, right? And move on to be able to say, what's next? That's, that's a good, good place to move on to our, to our last hope for this episode, this first episode of this series. And uh, why don't you tell us about that one? That we don't rush back to all the things we did before, but rather keep the slate clean. Right. That ties into our, the last point, which is like, you know, um, not to go and find all our baggage from before, not to find all the things from before, but to, to recognize that, you know, now that everything has been a lot of, no, and everything, everything has been sort of put on hold, paused, or changed, or done in a dramatically different way. That we can 
wipe the slate clean in terms of how we do ministry, what we do for ministry, how we organize organize ourselves as a community, and be judicious about taking the next steps towards resuming, towards building back up, right? That we don't have to just rush back into everything we did before, but we can be picky, we can be choosy, we can really ask, does this work? Was it working before? Will it work now? Does it fit our priorities for ministry? Does it help us proclaim the gospel in our community? Will this help people know Jesus, right? I mean, will this help people fundamentally engage differently in the world? Yeah, I mean, it just... I can see it already. I can see out there, you see on social media, churches are rushing back to all the things they did before. And I think it's the ones who have the most fear, the ones who have the most anxiety about loss and grief, like we were saying, that that are not ready to trust that God will lead us to the things, to what's next, to the next journey, the next path for us, the next chapter of our ministry rather than recreating the old chapter when we know that God was doing something with us. Let's try and find that one again, but rather the next thing, when we're not sure what exactly it's going to look like or how it's going to work or whether or not this is what God is calling us to. Yeah, and it might, it might mean doing some of those things, right? That that you re-engage in those areas of ministry that maybe were put on hold, right? And then you think, okay, we haven't done X, Y, or Z for a really long time, and now we can now now we can re-engage. Now we have the energy to do that. But it also might look like, you know what? Nobody was coming. We were spending a lot of time and energy just trying to get the volunteers to be able to pull that event off. And is it really worth it? Could our time and energy be better spent doing something else? Yeah, just let the slate, let the slate be blank, right? We don't have to fill it all up again right away. We can sit with the emptiness for a while. Which is hard work, right? Especially for people in the church who are the the doers, right? No, but I mean, for people for whom the way in which they live out their faith is by doing the things, right? To say, we're not going to do all of those things because we're going to take some time for intentional discernment is not helpful to those people oh those people are gonna hate the post-pandemic church (laughs) i'm pretty sure everyone who comes to church just likes to read books and listen to prayerful music and yes that is do silent meditation absolutely how that works but no right i mean there is a difference between doing nothing right and not engaging or being disengaged and not engaging in something right in taking the time to to reflect 
and pray and to watch and to wait and to wonder what is happening and where God is active and where God is calling us. And it's much harder to do that if we're all busy doing something else. I think there's a little story, a little ditty in the Bible that (laughs) talks about this. But what happens when we're so busy doing the things that we're not able to hear what God is calling us to? No, exactly. I think I think it's easy to imagine that, you know, when everything, when quote unquote everything goes back to normal, it's going to be like Christmas. It's going to be like Easter, right? We're going to jump straight ahead to the party, straight ahead to the celebration. And no, like we are going to start the post pandemic church is going to be like the first Sunday of Advent. We got to wait and watch and see what comes next for us for a while. Right. This is, we are not in the waiting and watching period right now. This is the crisis. This is like, this is like the, you know, Good Friday moment. This is not the advent waiting and watching for something new to be born yet. Right. We are still in the midst of the trauma. And, and that's not what waiting and watching and leaving space is. Right. That's, that's what comes after the trauma. That comes like as the healing begins. And so, yeah, like, you know, I think it, it's easy to feel like we're just waiting for when we finally get to Christmas. And I mean, that's a really a, a powerful metaphor these days as we contemplate, you know, coming up to just under two months to Christmas. But no, we're, we are, we are as a church in this, during this pandemic, we are getting ready to start Advent, getting ready to get ready when this uh, pandemic ends. We're planning for the plan. And I think we'll leave it there for today. And in our next episode, we'll pick back up with some more hopes and dreams and visions for what the post-pandemic 21st century church might look like. And we're wondering for you what some of your hopes and dreams might be for the church yeah what are your what are your uh ideas for what the church needs to learn now so it'd be ready to be the church in the post-pandemic era and you can go onto our facebook page the millennial pastor facebook page and you can find a place to share that there they'll probably be under the the post for this episode six um posts you can go and leave those there you can go to twitter and you can tag uh, me at parker eric you can tag courtney at uh, reedman parker and you can use the hashtag post pandemic church hashtag post pandemic church and we will try and follow that hashtag as well and we can put our hopes and dreams and and wishes and prayers and uh, all that stuff for what we hope the church can learn during this time and be ready for uh, when when the world changes all again into the next post-pandemic era. era. So, I guess we should uh, wrap this up. Uh, where can people find you other than on Twitter? 
You can find me at C. Reedman Parker on Instagram and at Courtney Reedman Parker on Facebook. You can also keep up with the goings on at Messiah Lutheran Church Winnipeg, where I serve. And you can find us at Messiah Lutheran Church Winnipeg on Facebook. And you can find me on the Millennial Pastor Facebook page. You can find me and Courtney on Twitter, which we just said before. You can also find me on Instagram at Millennial Pastor, although I think I spelled Millennial, so you have to guess what that is. And you can also find me on my church's social media, which is Sherwood Park Lutheran Church, our Facebook page, or on our website, sherwoodpark.ca. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a generous grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod, and you can find at mnosynod.org. The Millennial Pastors Podcast is written and produced by us, the Reverend Courtney Reedman Parker and the Reverend Eric Parker, with our theme song provided by Lutheran Outdoor Ministry in Alberta and the North, and all other music provided by audionautics.com. This has been a couple of iPhone pastors for a typewriter church. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now.